0: I find myself at times praying for my, myself personally and then sometimes I'll say this same phrase uh, as I'm praying for my family or for you, the church. But I'll pray, God, I need more of you. I need more of you in my life. Or I'll pray, Lord, we need more of you. We need more of you. Now, I... Uh, If I stop, and if you stop and listen to that phrase theologically, it it, it sounds pretty incorrect. How can we need more of God when, as a believer, how can I need more of God as a believer when I already have God living in me? And that is true. In In a sense, that prayer is inaccurate because the fullness of God himself, as a believer, the fullness of God himself lives in me. So I can't have any more than who God is living in me, Amen. And yet, at times, I can feel or experience, and you can feel or experience, or we can experience that measure of lack, that measure of a longing for something more than I know is a reality or could be a reality in my life, but I'm just I'm just not experiencing it. Are you Are you tracking with me? We want more. Maybe we're not saying we want more of God, but we want more of the reality of who God is living and breathing and expressing himself in and through us. Can I get an amen on that? We want that, don't we? You know, when Jesus was on the earth, uh, Jesus began to, uh, at, at age of 30, he began to reveal little bits at a time who he was by what he taught, by what he did. He would, he would sit in front of crowds and he would begin, or, or maybe a small crowd, maybe a person, maybe a large crowd, but he would begin to share words of wisdom. And people that were around him would go, Wow! There's something different about this man and revelation of their own lives, their own sin, their own disconnect from God, their own frailty, their own dysfunction was revealed to them just by being in the presence of Jesus and listening to him teach. And sometimes, not only was it listening to him teach, but they would uh, be in the presence of Jesus and there would be something wrong physically with them or spiritually with them. Maybe uh, uh, they were... Uh, sick with a disease, or they were um, possessed by a demon, or they were captured by the the lust and the greed of money. We've got all these stories, these different stories of interactions with Jesus, but when people came in contact with Jesus, he either spoke, he prayed, his presence brought healing, brought restoration brought revelation, brought challenge. Religious people would be around him and they didn't necessarily want to be near him. Because it wasn't about religion anymore, it was about relating to the living God and not controlling our own world, but allowing him to control or change our life. And what happened in the presence of Jesus that so many miracles and so much God's stuff was happening that people started to follow him around. It started off with a few people and he called a few disciples to himself and they would travel down the roads in the byways of of that dusty land and meet common folk, common people, and their lives would get changed and then they would follow him. They'd stop what they were doing they would lay down their their jobs for a period of time they would gather their family they would crowd around they would they would see him get on a boat and they would run around the shore to get to the other side where the boat was going to land so they could welcome him again they're following this man why because something was different about his life and they wanted something from him and crowds grew sometimes he'd say something and the crowds would shrink cuz he'd be too challenging But the living presence of God, God among us, the presence of Jesus, the the very living God was recognized to be living among the people. And they could not get enough of him. So much so that when he began to communicate that there was a time coming when he was not only... Uh, that he was not only going to leave or die, but he began to communicate how he was going to die. His very own disciples who had, had him, heard him teach for, for, for many times said, that can't be true. One time Peter rebuked Jesus said, you're, you're not going to do that. And he had to look at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're not speaking the things of God, but you're thinking like the world. I am going to leave you. I am going to be killed. I am going to be tortured. I am going to be rejected, not only by uh, the religious leaders in the world, but I'm actually going to be rejected by some of you. I'm going to die, but it's for a reason. So that I can become the Lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice. Slain. Killed. On your behalf. We we just remembered that when we took communion together. That Jesus died for every one of us in this room. He died for the whole world. For anybody who's ever lived, he paid the price. He made the sacrifice so that if we would put our faith and trust in him, we would not be judged for our sins. But the punishment or judgment that we would deserve was placed upon him. He took our punishment for us, but he was going to leave. Even though he, even though he communicated that it wasn't the final death, that there was more, that there was a resurrection to come, that there was a, 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 a that he would rule and reign, they could not understand the the, the reality that he was going to die. And so, in the upper room, when he is communicating with them about these truths, and he's talking. Um, to them about a number of, of, of promises that are to happen, and he's, he's talking to them about how they're going to relate to one another, and he's giving them insight into what life might look like when he leaves. There's this, I, I believe that it was kind of like the sermons that maybe a lot of you experience week in with, week out with me. You hear them, but they go in one ear and out the other, because you're thinking about something else. He gave them this great exhortation of what it was going to be like, but you you can imagine that they're probably sitting there going, is he telling us he's leaving? What is he talking? But in the midst of that, that discourse at that last meal, John, um, Jesus says this, and we see it in the book of John. He says, in fact, and you, you, actually if you were here early, you saw us put this verse on the screen. In fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate or the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, why is this so amazing for us? Why was this promise, if they could receive it, if they could have heard it in that moment, why would it have been so glorious? Because the reality is, when Jesus died, not only did he create a way for us to have relationship with God forever, and forgiveness of sins, and eternal life, and and. Uh, uh, that, that expression that he talks about in John 3 when he's talking about Nicodemus, that we can be born again, born anew to a new relationship with God. Not only do we receive that through what Christ has done, but he promised in this passage of Scripture that when he goes away, he'll send his Spirit to live in us every minute of the day, every day of the week, every week of the year, every year of, After year, after year, in all of eternity, we are united, we are bonded with God forever. And we don't have to go to the other side of the lake. We don't have to look on our blog, or look on his blog, and find out which venue he's going to be in next. Oh, Jesus is going to be in Worcester, i got to get out there. Awesome, what? He's in San Diego. I can't get to San Diego. Or what? He's, he's hanging out with the Minnicks. That's not fair. He hangs out with the Minnicks all the time. I want him at my house. Well, he can't be at everybody's house. I know, but he's with them more. I want him with me. I want to be with him wherever he is. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God m- multiplied Jesus multiplied the presence and the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the fruit of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, all the things that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, that was multiplied to all of us as believers in the room when Jesus ascended into heaven, and then days later, at Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out upon his disciples, and then upon the crowd, and the rest is history. The history of the church. The present working of the church. Today, Pentecost should be happening and can be happening in our midst as we yield ourselves to him. It is better. Say, it is better. It is better that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would died and rose again, and he could send his Spirit, because we have the Spirit of God living in us. I'm going to read a lot of passages of Scripture this this morning, so if you have your Bible, and uh, I'd love for you to open your Bible. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but we are going to give an overview of the Holy Spirit really quickly. So, here we go. But we remember that Jesus not only said this in John, but right before he left, he met with his disciples in Acts 1. We see this account, verse 4. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John was the signified the the, the, uh, that, that baptism of repentance, that baptism of water, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit baptizer. He sends his spirit to live within us. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept, kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'll say this numerous times in different ways. But the working of the Holy Spirit in your life is just like the working of Jesus. And when Jesus lived here on earth, did he sit around in his house and play video games? Did he sit around in his house? Of course, they didn't have video Everybody's like, that's not possible, Pastor, because <laughs> that was just... When he was on earth, he was about mission. So that when the Spirit of God was promised to his people, it wasn't about so they could get a blessing only. They got a blessing. I'm not saying there's not a blessing. The Holy Spirit is incredibly much a blessing. But it's not just about encountering God. It's about being filled with God so that we can partner with God in the works that he's doing in the world. Power will come on you, and you will be what? My witnesses. Move on over to Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, so they waited, so they did exactly what Jesus said. They were waiting and praying and gathering together as believers in the upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was the sound from heaven like a roaring, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues, flames or tongues of fire, appeared and settled in each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Or speaking in tongues in some versions. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, and when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are in all of those languages. I'm not going to go through them because I can't pronounce half of them. <laughs> and we are all, and we are all, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. Now, I'm not going to go in a great discourse about whether or not that this was gift of the gift of speaking, or the gift of hearing, or both, or whatever, but all I can say it was supernatural. Amen? But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're drunk. That's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes this passage from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arise. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on and preaches a little bit more, and in verse 38, Peter replied, each of you, this is the response he gives, each of you must repent of your sins, and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. I believe That Pentecost and uh, uh, I believe the primary function of what was going on in Pentecost was to usher in a new age, to usher in the age of the Spirit living within believers in His church. That is what Pentecost was all about. It hadn't happened yet. There was one one specific instance where Jesus blew on some of his disciples, and they received the Holy Spirit. But as far as the church and the coming together of people through the repentance of sins and the faith in Jesus, this was the this was the the, the starting point of the age in which the Spirit of God was going to dwell within men and women. And what's glorious about the prophetic word from Joel that was spoken, um, uh. Centuries before it actually happened, was how how revolutionary it was. Because not only did Joel prophesy that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on his people, but he declared there's gonna be poured out on everybody. That God was not gonna be a respecter of persons, that it was gonna be on men and women and people throughout the world and from generation to generation in times to come. It was the blessing of God that he would dwell with his people by the Spirit within them. And he, usher, he ushered in that promise with fanfare, with fire and tongues and prophetic words and preaching and the gospel. And what happened as a result of that outpouring was not only that the Spirit of God began to dwell in men and women, but it was the beginning of the outpouring of salvation in the church. 3,000 people got saved. Peter, under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel, and this huge church overnight became a church in Jerusalem. Isn't that glorious? And so I want to speak to an issue, and I'm going to pause here, because in a room like this, I, I know... 75% 75% of you, um, and of that 75%, I know some of you more than others, and there's maybe 20 or 25% I don't know. This is my goal during this series. My prayer is that all the Pentecostals in the room, wave your hands, and no, I'm just kidding, you, you, already, you already do that already, just kidding, that all the Pentecostals in the room, all the people that have, are saying, praise the Lord, finally, pastors, preaching on this topic, that you would not only be encouraged with the, 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 uh, the responsiveness and the integrity in the pursuit of the Holy Spirit that you've given yourselves to um, in your tradition, but that I believe that you would be encouraged with some of the aspects of the Holy Spirit's fullness that we often don't talk about in Pentecostal churches. That it's not just about the gifts or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, all of you Baptists on the back row, I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> Just kidding, I was Baptist. and I would... For all of you who might be coming into the room and maybe are, are a little bit skeptical even about what's going on in worship when people are raising their hands and this kind of what, what your sense is that maybe this emotional aspect of our journey with God here at the church, or maybe you've heard some teachings on the Holy Spirit and you're like, I'm not even sure... What this is all about, for those of you who maybe don't come from that Pentecostal persuasion, that maybe have really, as believers, have really focused on the integrity of living your life according to the word of God and the the preaching of the gospel and living pure and devoted lives, holy lives, I want to shake you up a little bit. And I want, I, want to, I want to say that what we see in Scripture is not only was this an inauguration of the Spirit living within the church and there were some supernatural signs and wonders that not only happened in Acts 2 and Acts 4 and all the way through the, through the book of Acts, but that the declaration of the truths of this teaching are that they weren't just for one season, but if the Spirit of God lives and breathes in that way and if it is a representation of Jesus himself living in us and that's how he lived on earth, he wants us to live that way too. So that if Jesus healed, he wants to see healings happen in our lives. If Jesus had words of knowledge and revelation, he wants to operate through us in that way. If Jesus and and or the church was filled with joy in the presence of the Holy Spirit, it says both about Jesus and the church, then we need to have unspeakable joy when we talk about Jesus. My former pastor used to talk about people in his church. I'm not saying this about you, but he says some of us are so, so, holy and stayed in our approach to God, that it looks like that we've just drunk a gallon of pickle juice. (laughs) That we're so afraid to allow the joy of the Holy Spirit and what He has done for us, not only invade us, but escape us. That we've lost touch with the living dynamic of a gloriously joy-filled, life-giving, liberating God that we want to be a part of. Titus 3 says this, But when our God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and His love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so I would say, in looking at the Scripture, as believers, we have all received Upon our confession of faith, we have all received and been fill, filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. We could not be born again without the Spirit. Amen? All the Pentecostals in the room, and I, I, I is one of you, we could not be born again without the presence of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who does the saving in us. And if the Spirit of God has to save us, He doesn't leave us to come back again. He's in us. He's baptized us. He has sealed us. He has done His work when we put our faith in Jesus because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Amen? Now, I'm not finished, so don't get... Y'all, don't. I'm, I'm going to step on some more toes here. But we still need, as I started off this message, we still, all of us need more of God. All the time in our life. We need more of the expression of the Holy Spirit who's living within us. We see this in Acts, right? So we have this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, where there's tongues of fire, there's prophetic words, there's powerful preaching, there is... a Salvation, I didn't even read the the fruits of, of Acts 2. Did I pass over it? Maybe I'll read it later. Here it is. It's right here in my notes. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know what Acts 2 sounds like to me? It sounds like revival. Because when God gets a hold of our life, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it some Pentecostal experience, if you want to call it a prayer meeting or a tent revival, whatever, when God gets a hold of us in this way, something incredibly different is happening, isn't it? When we are saying, hey, I want to hang out with you more. I want to share meals with you more. I want you to know that mikasa sukasa That what my stuff, you like that, don't you? Yeah, that's all the Spanish I know. You can teach me later. Okay, all right. That when we we get so touched by the love and the mercy of God, that we want to lay our lives out for God and other people, that is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that is revival in our lives. My... My declaration for the next few weeks, that as we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit to the fullness, we had that glass of water. We're wanting that water to get all the way up, pouring in. Hopefully, I don't, maybe we'll see something miraculous happen. It'll just keep on moving up. I don't know how to do that graphically, but we'll figure it out. We want that whole thing getting filled up and flowing out all the time. That if we, as a people, are walking in that kind of relationship with God, we're going to experience what we call revival in our church. Do we need revival? Do we need more of God? Do we need more of the fullness of who God is? You don't have to answer that yet. You can keep on thinking about it. We've got to think about what this means. If what we just read in Acts 2 is, is to be some indication of the norm of the Spirit's work, then the question that we might ask is, why do we not see more of it today? If the Spirit of God, if what I just said is true, if we as believers in this room, however many believers we are, the minority of this room, believers in Jesus, if the Spirit of God lives in us, then why are we not experiencing revival like we just read about more often in our life? That should be a question that we ask ourselves. Why do we not see it more often in the church? Here's some thoughts. Maybe we are so full of ourselves. Maybe we are so full of the world that we've displaced the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Maybe as the scripture says that through our living, we've grieved the Holy Spirit in some way in which he has been diminished, set aside, not released fully, not allowed fully in our lives to be who he wants to be. Oh, God's so good. Sometimes he does it anyway. I love Jesus. Jesus. Sometimes I'm so incredibly rebellious and stuck in my ways and all of a sudden I'll be driving down the road and, and he'll just hit me across the head with a revelation. And I'll start weeping. Not because I was hungering for God, not because I was being, but just because God said, you know what, knucklehead? I love you too much to just keep, you, keep letting you drive in your apathetic, dry heart. I'm going to bless you anyway. So sometimes God says, you know what, let's just pour out a shower on him. I, he doesn't deserve it. I know he doesn't deserve it. Just bless him. So sometimes God does that. But most of the time, God waits, at least in my life and I believe scripturally, he waits for our hunger and our actions to come in line with what, with what is the reality of his existence in our life. He's not left us. The Spirit of God, as a believer, the Spirit of God lives in you. Amen? He's not leaving us, but boy, we can sure marginalize him in our lives, can't we? We're so often full of ourselves in the world that we don't have room or recognition or revelation of God in our lives. Or we're so parched, this water example, so parched from a lack of relationship with God. We don't recognize or long for him anymore. Been there, done that. You know that this is true. Let me give you an indication of how this is true. When when you're in a you're in a setting where people are talking about God and in the things of God, and your stories are about five or ten years old or twenty years old. Well, let me tell you know you're, you're in your forties. Well, let me tell you, when I was fifteen, I just remember having this real powerful encounter. That's a little bit too long ago. You need a little bit more water of God in your life. Read with me. Why am I talking about water here? Look at this awesome way that Jesus described it. Jesus was alive, and he prophesied something here. He said, "On the last day, the climax of the festival, the the the, the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way, which was happening, which is a, a feast that uh, commemorated or celebrated God's miraculous provision for the children of Israel as they were traveling, as they were living in the desert for forty years." So this. This this feast of of acknowledging God's provision and miraculous provision. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given. Because Jesus had not entered into his glory. So he has this prophetic moment where he says, come and drink of me, and you'll get living water. You're thirsty, and I'll give you a drink, and not only will I give you a drink, some translations say rivers, or yeah, it says there, rivers of of living water will flow. Some uh, historians say that during these festivals, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, that there was a tradition that happened. Every morning, a priest, followed by a, pr- a procession of people, would solemnly go in a procession, and they would take a golden pitcher and get water from the pool of Siloam, and then pour it out as a libation on the west side of the altar. So they'd get water, and they'd pour it out. And it commemorated God's miraculous provision for them in the wilderness, but also... Some historians say that a part of that part of that ceremony was to symbolize the future outpouring of the Spirit, promised through the prophet Droll. So living water to quench the thirst of a weary traveler, a drink of water, and to irrigate a parched land, the river, in the fullness of the Spirit. God has ordained it that we would find ourselves constantly in a place of needing to drink water. Is that how we live as humans? Right? We have, I don't know, what's the percentage of water in our body? How much? 90? Is that true? I don't know. It's up there. I thought it was higher than that. We are a body full of water, and yet we get thirsty, and we need more water. I remember playing tennis one time in Texas, and I forgot to drink water. In 100-degree weather, boy, was I good for the first two sets. And then all of a sudden, my body shut down, and I went into dehydration. And I had to be taken to the hospital and put on IVs to get fluids put back into my body because I'd run out of the water that I needed to supply energy and strength to my body. I believe Jesus is saying, I've created you in such a way that that you need to come to my fountain and drink from me. But not only that, not only can we come and get drink from him, but the, the, the illustration turns from drinking from God and it turning into a river that flows out of us. He doesn't I, I don't think we're drinking rivers. We're taking drinks, but he's turning those drinks into a powerful irrigation, flowing, life-giving source to people around us. Amen? If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then this whole life that we live, both in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our work, surrounding our church community, should be flooded with the presence and the life and the activity of God. It should be pouring out in powerful ways. People should be getting healed. People should be getting restored in their marriages. Children should be coming back to the Lord. The poor should be getting fed and clothed and and, and given hope for their, for their futures. Fatherless children should be fathered and mothered. That's the flow of the river of God. That's why we named this church the river, by the way. It was a, it was a symbolic um, naming because the Charles River had such a, 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 a major impact on the development of Waltham. But we also knew that the river of God has an even a more amazing impact on the souls of men that when we come into the life flow of God, we're changed. That change happens in us. William Temple said this, no one can possess possess the spirit of God and keep that spirit to himself. Where the spirit is, he flows forth. If there's no flowing forth, he is not there. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to go forward into ministry through us. Another way that we describe it, and I'll, I'll end with this illustration today, and we'll pick it up next week is that we want to be filled, and that's the, that's the theme of our series um, this month, is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I've talked about it in this, this context. To be filled is to be full of or displacing of something else. So we want to be full of the Holy Spirit, and we want the Holy Spirit to displace anything that is not of God in us, right? To the degree that we are full of the Holy Spirit is the degree we are emptying ourselves of everything else. God fully consume us push out all that is not of you so it's an interesting study of the first of the Corinthians because the Corinthians um, were known we, we do a lot of study when we talk about spiritual gifts we look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and all the supernatural manifestations of God that were happening within the Corinthian church um, Uh, The beginning of Corinthians talks about the Spirit um, coming upon the church and then the anointing that was upon the church to see signs and wonders and gifts. But the whole context of the letter to the Corinthians is Paul rebuking them for the carnality that they were living in. He actually says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people, I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. So it is, it is possible as believers for us to have the Holy Spirit living within us and for us to have measures of the Spirit's work in us, but not be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can speak in tongues, we can have words of knowledge and all the different manifestations that are addressed in first Corinthians, and Paul never says that those are wrong. Those are a part of who the Holy Spirit is. But they aren't necessarily a measuring stick for how full you are of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, he says before he even gets it in that discourse, you guys aren't even acting spiritual. You're not you're not living yielded or controlled by the Holy Spirit in his fullness. So we can't just say, well, I speak in tongues, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. No, you're not. You could be, but not because you speak in tongues. Well, I'm just a servant and I have such good character and just, I'm just the salt of the earth. Well, are you allowing the power of God and the flow of God's Spirit to move through you in all of his various ways? Well, I don't believe in that stuff. No. We need all of who God is to flow through us, to be full, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we don't want just a half a glass. Or three quarters of our glass. we want to be yielded completely to the Lord. D.L. Moody, one of the great evangelists, said, "Why? Why do you?" Someone asked him, "Why do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit?" His response was, "Because I leak. <laughs> because I leak." And I do believe that that is what the Scripture is teaching us: is that it's not. It's like the manna in the desert. It's not an experience with God is not for the to last you forever. He wants you to have a relationship with him and he wants you to drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and eat and eat and eat and eat eat of him. So here's our, our theme verse for this phrase, Ephesians 5. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to, the God, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Drunkenness is a decision that we make to allow a substance to... Um, we, we get drunk because we want to lose control. But when we submit to the Holy Spirit and are filled with the Holy Spirit, we give the Spirit of God control to make us holy, to bring power to our life, to set us on purpose, to bring his fruit in our life. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit. We need you. We recognize that as many of us or most of us in the room, you live in us. You have saved us. You've, you've, uh, you've given us newness of life. You've revealed who Christ is to us and who God is. You've done so many works in our life, the Spirit of God. We want you to have full control of our life. We want to be filled. with We don't want to be partially filled. We don't want to just have a little bit of you operating and working in our life. But we want to be completely saturated and under your control. We want you to come upon us. We want you to work through us. We want you to empower us. We want you to to liberate us. Spirit of God, fill us. And not just once. That passage in Ephesians five, uh, in its in the Greek, it is it is uh, denotes not just a one time, but a continual action, a continual filling that we yield ourselves to, a continual drinking that we come to you to drink. It's part what you do in us, but it's also what how we respond to you. This is a relationship. We ask this morning cultivate or stir within us a thirst for more of you. Stir within us a thirst for more of you. I just even ask for you right now to just pray, God, give me more of a thirst for you and your, your ways in my life. But I want a thirst m- more for you. I want to hunger more for you. Lord, I ask God that you would begin to Reveal within us today and as we go through this time together, Lord, that if there are things that are displacing you out of our life, if there are things that are putting you in a corner or things that are causing you to be completely forgotten in our life, even though we call ourselves a follower of Christ or one who's filled with the Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to us that place of control, of sin, of Forgetfulness of apathy, whatever it is, that dryness. Lord, may we not be satisfied with that, but may our desire be to be full in you. Fill us, Lord. So, would you do this? If that is, would you stand up with me? Stand up with me. If you are in a place where you are saying, hey, I want to be filled up. I don't want to just live on the margins. I don't want to just walk um, lukewarm. But I want to be fully surrendered to God. Um, Then you can stay right where you are and put your hands up in prayer. If you're saying, hey, I want want to step out and move to the front and um, declare it in a more fuller way, you can do that. There's also indication in the Scripture that at times when we're in a place where we need a breakthrough, that people would pray for one another, that hands were laid upon people to impart a fresh, a fresh move or work of the Spirit of God within their life. So if you're needing a fresh touch and you're, you're, you're hungering at a deep level for that, come forward. I'd love for you to be prayed for. We'd love to, to pray that that work of God would be on your life. So why don't we take that time right now? Your hands are raised or you're coming forward. I'll wait for a few moments as you decide where you are in that place of response to the Lord.